Contenders, ready! Hello and welcome to the Glad Pod in association with Gladiators TV. I'm David Blackmore and with me as always is Jet and producer Paul. Diving into the mailbag for this week and there is a lovely email from Suzanne who, like many of you listening, love to hear so many stories from those involved in the series. She also says it's wonderful to hear that there's still so many fans still out there. I think this intro section is is a favourite for a lot of the Glad fans out there. She wanted to share her story of meeting Jet and also to explain that this story is one that her daughters aged seven and five when she sent the email into us they love to hear her tell them because thanks to uh, a certain online video channel they are huge glad fans too anyway she starts by saying back in 1994 she was a huge fan of the show and her favorite gladiator being no surprise Jet because if her memory is correct the series had like a an association with the sports retail chain all sports and that some of the gladiators did personal appearances at the stores so when all sports opened in her hometown jet and hunter opened the store now at this time suzanne's fandom was at its peak her bedroom was covered in gladiator posters and she because she was a huge jet fan news of her visit to her town was just too exciting now on the day of the opening she and her mum were first in the queue three hours early jeez but it was totally worth the wait she says they went in and Suzanne was completely blown away at having the chance to meet Jet you signed an autograph for her die and she very shyly gave you a little teddy bear now Suzanne says that you were so lovely and you asked her to write down your address so that you could write to her and she did and before she left you said to her you look so much like me because Suzanne had long brown hair now for her for Suzanne to hear this was fantastic I mean, what 10-year-old girl wouldn't want to hear that you look like Jet? And yeah, Jet stood up and said, look, we have the same hair. And then you did your famous like hair flick for Suzanne, which, you know, iconic. She was completely lost for words and so happy. Uh, She said, thank you and left the shop walking on air. Now, a few weeks later, Suzanne says, you did indeed write her a letter thanking her again for the teddy. And at the time, you know, I think we've mentioned on, on previous Glad Pods as well, you know, just how much fan mail you would have received. Suzanne just was struck at you finding the time to do that and how personable and appreciative you were. She adds that she was sorry to say, although also lovely on that day, she doesn't actually remember meeting Hunter or much about Hunter because, you know, she just met her absolute idol. So needless to say, her daughters love this story. They love the gladiators and they watch a new episode weekly every Saturday, which sounds like such a brilliant idea. You know, if you've got two kids that are really into gladiators, you know, Saturday, you could pretty much have Saturday night tv especially with the tvs being smart tvs these days and watch an episode of gladiators each week and they recently just watched eunice be crowned champion now she ends her email by saying please jet could you say a big hello to her daughters on the podcast they are emma and lucy and they would also love to know if wolf really is mean in real life firstly suzanne thank you so much for such a lovely memory 
And I've got a little secret to tell you. I had a helper with my fan mail because I would get saps. It's not bragging. It was just in the day before social media and things like that. So people like you, good self, would actually handwrite or give me your address if you'd give me something at a PA and I would write back. But my mum would help me as well because obviously I was very busy teaching and doing lots of other things in my career. And my mum would keep aside all the really special handwritten letters and cards and drawings and little gifts. So I do remember that period of time very, very well. And to Suzanne's two little ones, I want to say a big gladiatorial hello. And yes, Wolf was not mean. He was actually really, really nice. He was playing a part. He was a bad loser, though. So sometimes in the moment, <laughs> if he came off an event, pushing someone around would be kind of true to form, but there was no malice behind it. He was just a, a good panto actor and not a bad gladiator before he started getting injured a lot like some of us did <laughs> and she ends it with thank you again for such a great podcast and Di Suzanne says she still has her long brown hair have you ever considered changing your hair Di as in colour or length colour length style all it of the above early question to feedback to you wasn't it David Suzanne um, I have sadly my very very long hair still which I love it keeps me very warm in winter and keeps my head company <laughs> but it's it's slightly more golden these days it's not as dark as it was and there's reasons for that <laughs> um, but I'm still glad you've got your, your lovely long dark hair and Paul just two things I wanted to pick up view on this so all sports is I, I can't really remember that as a, a retail chain but yeah Suzanne said it was like an association with gladiators is that right yeah that was right so when all sports were, were opening across the country in like various shopping centres I remember going to one I think in the metro centre in Gateshead I think it was Panth and Warrior I think it was that I met up there and I remember you had to get in the queue mega early otherwise you would just be left disappointed so three hours is actually not that long to be fair i used to to queue for five hours sometimes to just get in there first and get to meet them so the all sports thing was obviously tying in with the whole kind of fitness and sports of the 90s that was kind of getting a resurgence across the entire country and the gladiators would do all of the openings and there was tv adverts and stuff like that is made. Is all sports big enough for the gladiators? Big choice, big brands, big on smiles and big on value. If you want to meet the gladiators, phone 0891 338787 or call into any store for details. All sports. It's not your average sports store. Five hours, Paul. That's that's absolutely insane to be waiting. Honest, um, before... honest, yeah, honestly, I for the for the recording of Gladiators at the National Indoor Arena in Birmingham, me and my mom or and my cousin Bev, we would generally get to the arena at probably six o'clock in the morning, and then the doors opened, if I remember rightly, around 10, 11 o'clock. Which sounds insane thinking back, but if you wanted the good seat in the arena, which was the corner seat near the men's wall, because that's where the gladiators came on and off, um, and it was your opportunity to speak to them and, and kind of say hi and stuff like that if you wanted those seats you had to get there that early and when the doors opened because the seats weren't reserved it was a mad rush of all of the glad fans running for that seat so you kind of had to be there insane as it sounds it kind of added to the whole experience because you would make friends in the queue and it was just a really nice experience to go through as well and with other events that you'd go to paul would you cherry pick them like presumably you'd try and stick to the ones local to you in a north or did you travel further afield if you knew that you know that die and hunter were opening 
one in, I don't know, in Manchester or Liverpool? Or did you just stick to the northeast? For the personal appearances, I genuinely let my parents just stick to the northeast. I'm sure if I could have gone to further afield all of the time, I probably would. Yeah, it was just for the recordings for, of the actual shows like London, Wembley, Sheffield. That's where my parents would kind of go further out of the area. Yeah, I don't think I could have got away with going to, to more than what I did. <laughs> and were there any other appearances, personal appearances that you went to that you ended up being disappointed by? Ooh, there has actually been a couple because you could never tell what the event was or what it kind of would be like. Actually, one of the most disappointing ones that I went to was a Gladiator's Horse show, which I had to travel there living in London. And I travelled there with a group of friends to watch it. And they had a Gladiator kind of appearance, which was just the Gladiators cheering on people doing Gladiator-style events. And it was kind of over so quickly and didn't really get to, to to kind of chat to anybody or meet them and it was travelled all that way for, for kind of nothing so yeah unless you were interested in horses heartbreak for, for producer Paul there as always guys we love reading your gladiatorial memories you can get in touch with us at the Gladpod by emailing gladpod at gladiatorstv.com or sliding into our DMs on Instagram Facebook or Twitter but for now let's get on with this week's show shall we three He's one of the original male gladiators to grace our screens and was the first and only Welsh gladiator on the original series. Swooping into the glad pod, it's Hawk, otherwise known as Alex Georgiev. Jeremy told me that he'll be focused completely on the job ahead and will try to forget that the Hawk will be coming up behind him. And that'll be difficult to do as we check the Hawk's stats, a former Mr. Wales. He's not only powerful, but agile with an irresistible smile. Thank you so much for coming on to the GladPod. Your name is the, and one of the names that comes up most commonly from Glad fans saying, when are you going to speak to Hawk? When is he coming on to the GladPod? You're on now. And yeah, we've got so we've got so much to get through with you. For most of our, our GladPods, we, we do tend to go to the beginning. And one thing that stood out for me with you and your journey to Gladiators, because I feel like all our Gladiators had slight, you know, different versions, whether it's gymnastics or, you know, athletics. I know, you, you know, you've moved into athletics, but you actually... You started your sporting career playing rugby, right? Uh, in school, I think that's that that's compulsory for any Welsh boy. Boys who are in school, you play rugby, and I played for the the school team. Yeah, so that that was my basic background. But... And did you did you turn to athletics because it's a it can be more of an individual sport, and you I... didn't like losing. Because of other people's mistake. Never been a team player. I know that sounds awful, but I've always loved the individual sports, gymnastics and things like that, and always excelled at, at, at things like that. The athletics just suited me fine. But um, as you probably know, I was long jumping for Cardiff and Wales. And to aid my training, I was told to do some weight training. And as soon as I started that, I knew it just clicked with me. That was that was the direction I was going to take everything. Well, you retired from long jump at eighteen. Is that is that, is that the time that most long jumpers retire from? No, it just uh, it didn't excite me as much as the the weight training did, and I, I got encouraged to do some bodybuilding because I seemed to be suited to that physically. And I, the, it bit by the bug, you know, uh, and there was no going back then. So, 
was it your mum that that bought you your first set of weights and that you trained yeah. at home for two years before yeah. you were kind of brave enough to venture into a proper gym so me reading that in black and white that would suggest that me were you were you too shy to go into the gym at the beginning did you want to get bigger before you went there what happened i started training at a little gym that was in a swimming pool it was in a side to this swimming pool that i i would attend called the empire pool in cardiff it was a big olympic pool at the time and i started training there i then i I, I just didn't, that was a multi-gym. So it wasn't conducent to sort of serious bodybuilding. My mother at 16 bought me a set of weights and then I started working, uh, earning some money and I bought a lot more. And you, you should have a gym that I built in the bedroom in the back of the house. It was this huge gym. Honestly, I bought so much equipment. All my money and effort went into that. And by the time I was about 18, I felt I was ready to go to a gym. And I sort of went to a gym and shocked them all, to be honest, because you know the first time I'd been in the gym, I was I was quite advanced by then. I was weighing sort of 16 stone when I was 18 going into a gym. And then obviously you were twice named Mr. Wales. I know you, you went on subsequent years to be, um, numbers now moved up to, to nine. And <laughs> my favourite line I've ever had in any Gladpod notes, prior to Gladiators, you worked as a Welsh water inspector. Like, is that what it's? says on a tin inspecting the water of Wales what I was was a um a leak detective if you like it was wastewater inspector which is looking for all the leaks because um at the time Welsh water had a big problem it wasn't publicly known but 50 percent of the water that was leaving the reservoir was disappearing before it got to people's taps so it was our job to find these these leaks Tell me then, how did gladiators come into your life? Like, had you seen the American gladiators before? I'd seen American gladiators. I was a massive fan. I'd done bits and pieces of TV. I was on You Bet. Remember You Bet with Matthew Kelly? I'd appeared on that with a, another guy called Niall uh, Mongan. Uh, we were holding up a bridge with 100 Scots pipers walking across it in, in a sort of bunch. <laughs> I don't remember that. It's probably on the internet somewhere. Please welcome our challengers, Niall Mongan and Alex Georgiev. Excellent. First of all, tell me what you do for a living, Alex. I'm a draftsman for the Welsh Water Board. You're a draftsman. Now, the reason, the reason I bring this up is because people always think the people who do bodybuilding are bimbos. Forgive oh. the expression. That's one of the, one of the many misconceptions about the sport. I mean, to compete in the, in the sport as it is now is so competitive, you've got to be intelligent. You have. There's no two ways. It's a science. Right, now, how, how many people are going to be crossing this bridge at any one time? Between four and five at the same time. Now, tell me the combined weight of the bridge and the people the crossing at any one time. Be between 850 and 950 pounds. And you are prepared to hold that up for as long as it takes for the 100 people to go across. No problem. <sighs> I'm feeling yeah. sick already about this. <laughs> <laughs> 
But during that, I met some TV people and I mentioned to them, this was before a British Gladiators was even thought about. And I said to them, listen, there's going to be a British Gladiators. I want to be part of it. And, you know, can I, it sounds odd, but I, I never put the, I'm not trying to say that I put the idea in anybody's head, but I said, I want to be part of this. And I can't remember the name of the girl. It was London Weekend Television, but I can't remember. But I said that I wanted to be part of the, the British Gladiators when it starts. And she said, oh, don't be silly. They're not going to do that. And a couple of years later, of course, it all starts happening. So I apply as a contender. I sent my application in with a photograph. And three days later, Andrew Norgate, the assistant producer, was banging on my front door. He'd come down from London to Wales to, to see me and to tell me that he wanted me to apply as a gladiator rather than a contender. And the rest is history, really. I turned up the tryouts and I did okay. Awesome power, it says on Hawk's chest. A perfect description of that physique, strength and flexibility. Yeah, speaking of the tryouts, were you teamed up with Cobra? Yeah, for part of it. I mean, we were all whopping and changing, but yeah, Cobra and I got on really well. What were your initial initial reactions to Cobra? Oh, really similar sense of humour. I'd known Mick <laughs> through the bodybuilding. I'd seen him compete in several shows in London. So I knew all about him. I'd seen him on stage. He was a bit mental on stage as well, mind. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't just his TV persona. That was that's him in real life, as you probably well know. Absolutely. He is just what he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a phenomenon. And at the same tryouts there was Wolf with his bandana in the background of quite a lot of the shots and there was Warrior, uh, Shadow, Saracen. So a lot of the male gladiators were at that particular one trial, whereas the, the female ones, it kind of took a couple of tryouts to kind of find everybody who they wanted. When you were at the tryouts, did you kind of look around and spot which people you thought were going to be gladiators and, and up against competition for you? No clue whatsoever. I mean, people like Diane stood out because she's, as you know, visually, Diane is striking and there are two people I've seen in my life that have uh, women in particular whose beauty has absolutely struck me. One was um, Helena Christensen, who I saw, I was coming out of an agent's offices in the King's Road in Chelsea, and she was walking down the road, and seriously, it was as if the face was lit up. There were people, uh, the, the, the sidewalks, the pavement in, in London, really wide, and her face just stood out. And Diane had that same effect. She's got one of those faces that just draws your eyes. The other person was Fiona Fulton, who I saw in Pinewood Studios, another absolutely striking and beautiful woman. Diane, yeah, you, you've got it. You've got the X Factor. Oh. Oh, wow. I I'm actually just got a short intake of breath. I, I literally don't know what to say, which is unusual. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's what got you the part and it, it stuck with you and you you, saw, you were given that character. And obviously you've got a massive personality as well. And you were just perfect for that show. You, you were never going anywhere. The show was built around you, wasn't it? Really? This show was built around me. All about me. <laughs> Thank you anyway. <laughs> oh, Alex. And you look amazing too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's not, my, it's not my looks. They're the problem. It's my attitude. Right, we'll, we'll get we'll get one to all of this. Um, so what happens then? So you try out, and at what point are they saying to you, you're going to be one of the gladiators? God, it's a long time ago. I think it was just a phone call. I knew that the, the people who they were interested in were getting a lot more camera time, if you like, because there were cameras following us around. And I think Nigel was telling them to focus on specific people. I had an inkling because I was being filmed quite a lot. It was, it was quite intimidating because it was a who's who of British bodybuilding. I mean, knowing the bodybuilding fraternity at the time, all the names were there. There were people like Eddie Elwood, uh, some of the female bodybuilders, I can't remember, but big people. The big bulky bodybuilders, apart from people like Warrior, 
and Shadow weren't doing very well. They didn't have flexibility or agility or any of those things, and, and that worked against them, if anything. Because I, I thought people like Eddie Elwood, who was a massive guy at the time, huge guy, would be one of the ones they'd pick, but physically, he just wasn't as adept as, uh, as the rest of us. And the power of Hawk's upper body paid dividends. And so what did you make of the name Hawk? I don't know. I suppose people have said that it suited me. I don't know. I've got a very angular face and I've got that Russian look. So, yeah, I I was fine with it. I love my costume, by the way. (laughs) You loved your costume. And and to do that lap spread with your arms raised was, did you did you choreograph that or did someone tell you to do it well, they told me to do that yeah i mean i did various poses and i did one with my arms out without doing the claw thing why then they said oh right, right can you do that with a, a bit of a claw on the end <laughs> yeah so it's, just, it's really a standard bodybuilding pose hawks perched on high and don't the crowd just love it when he spreads those wings look at the size of those biceps Alex, you mentioned your costume, um, and you were the only male gladiator in Series 1, I think, off the top of my head, that had a yeah. full unitard rather than the the kind of the two-piece, which I know a lot of the male gladiators speaking to them were not very happy about at all. Men were trying my costume on, and they were all looking at me green. You know, these people were envious, you know. You, it looked mine just by far looked the best of them all. They all had bras on. What's going on? I don't know who designed those, but they, they obviously revised that next series. I think the request from a lot of the male gladiators was, yeah, I want to be in a one-piece rather than a two-piece. So, yeah. Alex, what was your what were your memories of walking into the re- arena for the first time? Oh, it was intimidating, but I mean, it's it, it, it exhilarating, wasn't it? I mean, you that sense of uh, power. And, we, and none of us realised how big this was going to be. When you think, I, I think it was 12 or 13 million people that were regular watchers of, of the program and it, it was huge and walking into that arena for the first time i can imagine the subsequent series which were much better attended with full audiences because they had to um recruit a lot of people from schools and things together because nobody knew what gladiators was before that so the audience was quite sparse but the the place was huge that the nia was an incredible place to to work the first thing the gladiators had to achieve was confidence in the safety equipment it's not easy throwing yourself off a 36-foot wall, like we see 17-stone hawk doing here. How did you train specifically for the events back then? As far as training was concerned, I, I did it all wrong, really. I got the part, and then I trained like hell to get really, really fit. And if anything, I, I lost quite a bit of muscle, probably 10, 12 pounds of muscle, to come in really fit. And then, of course, we, we did the events and realised I mean, the longest event is a minute long. I mean, how fit have you got to be for that? You haven't. And I could have retained all that muscle, been a lot bigger and less cardiovascularly fit because you, you just don't need to be that fit to do those games. Anybody can push themselves, especially if you're a bodybuilder or somebody who's reasonably athletic for a minute or 30 seconds. But as far as training concerned, I, I did a lot of running. I rope climbs. As I said, I used to hang from a bar for 10, 15 minutes sometimes, dropping arms and what have you. Standing in now on the mighty hawk who's getting ready to rock and roll in his atmosphere. Very important that before each event the gladiators and contenders warm up properly. And there's Hawk oiling up and getting ready to pump up for the next event. And look at the size of those veins. A former Mr. Wales stands six foot tall, a 60-inch chest, and a calorie intake 10,000 a day.
if you could have done the training again, what would you have done differently beforehand? It, it would have been easier if we knew what we were doing because coming into it, none of us had an idea what events we were going to be. We didn't know until we got to the arena. So we were training blindly and um, I was doing uh, some tug of, raw, uh, tug, tug of war stuff with mates. I knew about the uh, pugil sticks, the duel. So um, I actually made a pair of those, a load of plumbing pipe. And when I worked in Welsh Water, there were things called swabs that when you were cleaning out, I'm getting a bit technical now, when you were cleaning out a main, you would put one of these big foam swabs into the main and it would run up the main to clean it out. So they were big foam pads, 18 inches long, by about 10 inches around. And I put those, taped them all up. So I had my own pugil sticks in the house as well, which we used to have a, a laugh with. And sadly, you never you never did duel though, did you? No, no. That's another story. Do you want me to go into that? <laughs> yes. Yes. There were certain events that certain people were allowed to do. Duel is obviously the big event. It's the one that everyone wants to do. It's very visual. It's very impactive. And there are, it's it's a an event that everyone can do, really. Unless, like Warrior, you're scared of heights. But we won't go into that. The trouble with me and the trouble with a couple of other people, uh, like Wolf and Cobra, and Saracen is that we were good at all the events. We were all very athletic. There were events like Wingshot uh, and The Wall that people like Warrior and Saracen couldn't really do because we were that much more agile and athletic. So we would get dumped on those events and not allowed to do the other things. I got on hanged up once or twice, I think, but I would be doing swing shot and uh, the wall endlessly. I mean, I, I was lucky that I did manage because of that ability. I did get two appearances in every one of the shows, which was more than any other male or female gladiator on the first season. And I enjoyed it. I really did. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, that was the stat that really stood out to me that, you know, the most appearances from a male gladiator in the first series are so 20 times across nine shows. I mean, you said about swing shot, you did that eight times out of the, you know, in the nine shows as well. I um, mean, Atmospheres as well was another was another strong one for you. Yeah, I got a nice injury on um, swing shot as well. One of the first times we, we did it, every gladiator had their own individual bungee, which was regulated for their weight. Um, and on one of the appearances, I'd been attached to one of the girls' bungees and jumped down and hit the floor so hard, I hyperextended my knee, it bent backwards. And that traffic certainly looked pretty busy, judging the view from Hawk's helmet camera as we swing with the Hawk towards the cylinder and look how high he gets. And if we take it from another angle, from our floor camera, you'll be able to see just how this event is no walk in the park. Just look at the body slam. Another injury I had, I don't know, has anybody said about the, the inside of the atmospheres that first series? Cheese grater, absolutely. <laughs> well, the first time we w went in them, when they got them fabricated, I mean, they look great from the outside, but inside, they haven't uh, rung any of the welds off. So there were big chunks of steel, and they gave us the most pathetic little gloves to do that with. Because when, you, when you're in the atmosphere, you're using your feet, but you're using your hands as well to roll the thing and control it. The, the one time I was in there, I was doing this, and one of the welds caught me in the wrist. I got my scar there. It's a lump of a chunk of skin flesh out of my wrist. So I had to have stitches in that. Back and forth of Bird Hospital regularly. Do you remember that, Diane? <laughs> I do, unfortunately, yeah. uh, for different reasons. But that, yeah, it was it was pretty brutal, wasn't it, at the very beginning? Because it's like, although, I don't know if you remember, but they'd the, make the crew try out some of the events before us, but we were still kind of the experimentation process, weren't we? <laughs> I mean, it's different. They were, they were rolling around in the atmospheres and things. But there wasn't that urgency with them. There wasn't that adrenaline fuel 
pumping, you know, competitiveness that, that we were experiencing when we were against somebody in, in that arena. And they also weren't as naked as us. No, like, I thought Warrior had that horrendous injury up first series where he dissipated, dissipated his knees. He it was almost trapped, wasn't they? It actually in the atmosphere itself. Bless him. They were really hard to control as well. It's so heavy, trying to get it to stop. Massive effort. So I'm guessing the atmosphere was probably one of your least favourite events then. I, I didn't mind it. I really didn't mind it. It was hard work. What did I say? It was only a minute long. But that minute, we were really working hard. How the girls controlled those atmospheres, because we found it really difficult, was incredible. The, the girls must have found it massively more difficult than, than we did. Because a lot of us didn't quite have the weight. And I, I can't remember. Paul, do you know what the weight of an atmosphere was? I don't know the weight of an atmosphere off the top of my head. But what I do know is that for the second series, they... They streamlined the atmosphere so that they were not as heavy, so that they could move around a lot easier. Because I think I didn't know that. I think they realised that people, like, say, had issues with kind of manoeuvring it. It was the collisions as well. I mean, when <laughs> they really whacked because there was so much weight behind them. When once the momentum, you went down that ramp. The momentum of you sprinting as well. When you hit, you've seen some of the dents in there. They were banging dents out left, right, and centre. <laughs> There's our bird in the cage, the hawk. This feathered fiend and former Mr. Wales now living in Caffilly has just been pumping his pectorals. I just saw him do 200 deadlifts with 75 pound weights. His partner in demolition will be Shadow. Three, two, one. So it's the clash of the titans. Shadow gets down on it and Hawk swoops off his perch. For the big meeting in the middle, and look at that impact on Tony, and that one on Kim, take some of that, guys. Well, there's the man who cramped his style, the shadow, and his partner in demolition, Orc. Good job, fellas. So what was your favourite event, then? I felt really comfortable on Hang Tough, I really did, and I would have liked to have done more of that. Because obviously, the more you, you do it, the better you get. But I did. Did you did, have you talked about the hand grips that we were given? They were incredible. They were incredible. They were apparently they were a, a gymnastic thing. Um, <laughs> what John Anderson had suggested. They went around your wrist, uh, up your hand, and there was a, a roll of leather at the end, which just <laughs> allowed you to grab the ring, and you could stay up there for hours. It was <laughs> how easy it became. If you did them without, it was a completely different experience. It was so yes. fun with those leather grips. Honestly. I, I couldn't believe the difference. Such a simple design and so, so effective. So what it did is actually it, it, it kind of amplified what you were gripping onto because from what I can remember, the metal rings themselves were very thin and you couldn't actually get a proper grip on them, could you? Do you remember, Alex, when you would like, you'd focused on a ring that you'd go to and you're rocking backwards and forwards, swinging rather, and you'd have to like post your hand all the way through, then pull your hand back with that grip on to make that, do you remember doing that? It's, it's a physicality thing again, as it was with the atmospheres and the girls being so light with the blokes, big hands. And I got big hands. <laughs> made it so much easier, so much easier. But the women, again, I, I, the girls must have suffered on some of the events because of, of that lack of size and, and body weight. Do you know what? I've never actually thought about that. You're right, yeah? Look at the size of Hawk. I respect bodybuilders, but I prefer to wear my veins on the inside. Now remember, Derek can pick up 10 if he can get round the Hawk and land on his platform, or five points for hanging tough in the scoring zone. There's the Hawk. Derek grabs a blue. He's now in the scoring zone. All he's got to do is fend off the Hawk. He's retreating. One ring. Oh, he slipped. 
Hawks is becoming more like hang loose than hang tough. Hawk and Flame hardly breaking sweat in this event. I mean, obviously, you've got the, the advantage that the girls had, especially on the wall, was the lack of body weight. They were flying up the wall. They were making us look that one. Did you have a favourite side of the wall? No, I hated the wall. It was all, the whole thing. Obviously, they burned it down. It's a horrible thing. I didn't like that. <laughs> and actually did a lot of climbing after I left Gladiators. Oh, the irony. <laughs> I, I really got into it. I, I enjoyed the climbing. But the, the wall, not, I didn't enjoy, it wasn't I didn't like the wall because of the climbing. I just didn't like the event because I could never bloody catch anybody. <laughs> because <laughs> we were a lot heavier and you had these lighter, fitter people that were flying up that wall so quick. and right, right on their heels. It was so frustrating. And me being ultra competitive. <laughs> Here come Hawk and the Wolf. Jeremy and Weininger can't see them, but they can certainly hear them. Remember, for making it to the top, 10 points or five points for hanging on for the full 60 seconds. And they're motoring up there. Look at them go. Weininger's nearly there. Got to get your feet over. They hit the summit simultaneously, earning a maximum 10 points each and leaving Wolf and the Hawk behind. That was, that was the other thing with the whole gladiator thing I thought of it as a sport it was an entertainment and I should have treated it in that regard you realize mm -hmm. that more than a sporting event it was, it was visual it wasn't I mean it was important you won and who lost important did it look good and that's what would have come forward I wish we'd been doing characters as well some of the people were and most of the people weren't we were left your own devices if we'd been advised on how to develop a character or what direction to take it in I think it would have been that first series would have been a lot better. Diane, you were amazing. You just always were. No, fantastic. Oh, bless you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it was it was frustrating not having not knowing that you were a, a villain or a goodie or because I wanted to be a baddie. Always have. Oh, you were brilliant. And I, you just didn't know what to do some of the time. Just stuck up there. Right. If they just a little bit of direction, anything, but there was nothing. You weren't given anything. You told up there, go and do this event. And that was the end of it. Um, Did you have any psychological preparation before? Obviously, we were all backstage in that. Is it called the pig pen? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's that? This little fenced off bit at the back of it with the screen so we could see what was going on in the arena. Did you, how did you, if you knew you were up for, you know, when the, the A4 was slid underneath your uh, hotel door as to what you'd be on the next day and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be up on that. I'm going to be that. And that's really high profile. How would you mentally prepare for something that you'd think, oh, I'm not so sure about this because I've had like two minutes training on it. <laughs> I can't remember the piece of paper being slid under the door and I can't remember that first series being told what I was going to do. I think uh -huh. I think that first series we found out on the day. But preparing, I was quite confident on everything we did. I know that sounds big-headed, but I didn't, I wasn't phased by anything, you know, physically. I could do it all. I was confident in that regard. But as far as preparation, everybody was doing press-ups and everybody was on the dumbbells because the, for the boys, it was all uh, as you can get, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. So that was our preparation. If any, mm -hmm. probably both worked against us because we were probably knackered from pumping up before we got on the event. Alex, that's one thing I always wondered. Like, obviously, getting 12 athletes and putting them together and being like, yes, you're a team of gladiators now and you've got to face these contenders. How did you, and this is probably a question for Di as well, how did you all feel as a team? Were you as united as what it kind of came across on TV? Or yeah, just how did you all kind of like get thrown together and gel together? And we, we should point out at this, earlier on, right at the start of GladPod, you said, I'm not a team player. And I mentally made a note of that for this question. <laughs> 
I don't know. There weren't any team games in that first season. You were all individuals. And I think we were all competing against each other, if I'm honest. Because none of us were sure that we were coming back for a second series or anything. I never, I mean, I never thought that I'd be ousted from it for, for a minute. But it was decided that there weren't enough members because I think there was five males and five females at the start. And then Lightning and Cobra were added to the team because it was seen that they just thought they needed more. And there were people hanging around, like Trojan was a friend of Shadow, I think. And he was hanging out in the background. I thought, oh, that's, uh, that's someone to look out for. And eventually, he obviously became a gladiator in the end. But I don't know. As far as team players go, as I say, I'm not, I was, was never that person. And I guess what Paul's trying to get at as well is just throwing you guys all in together and just how you guys all got along backstage. We got on really well. I, I found it great. And in the evenings, back at the hotel and everything, we would uh, we would all be and in each other's rooms watching films and stuff, you know, as a, as a group. The eating was the best bit. That was fun. <laughs> I like that. Yes, go on. <laughs> Diane, do you remember? Because I, I heard, I've heard subsequently that they pulled back on the amount of food that you were allowed. But that first series, because we were all making the most ridiculous demands of food. Well, we need this, we need that. With fresh salmon, I remember Shadow asking for mangoes. There were massive piles of mangoes there that we were eating. Just any... I do remember, yes. Like a dingler asking for stuff at a concert, you know. We were just asking for silly things and we were getting it. We were getting it all. It was fantastic. And then Nigel fed back, I think, the year later, the budget for the food. Guys, really? <laughs> I must have put on about £10, or maybe even more than that, during the month that we were up there in Birmingham, because we ate and ate and ate. I mean, those those three weeks before filming, where we were exposed to all the events and learning how to do that, was was a fantastic time. We did bond in that respect. I'm thinking back now. You're gonna have to excuse me because it's 30 years and I haven't really thought about it for that time. But I can remember some of the times uh, we were. It was a sort of a gymnasium we were taking to, wasn't it, Diane? Was it Gold's Gym? In Birmingham, uh, on the outskirts of Birmingham at the time. Where were we practicing hang tough and stuff? Because I can remember, I mean, it's on some of the videos of the... Uh... It's actually below the arena. Oh, that's right. Yes, it was. It was. Mm-hmm. Practicing down there. They wanted to make us do an aerobics lesson at one point, didn't they? Do you remember that? I don't remember that. I probably... And if, if so, I, I probably led it. <laughs> <laughs> I got no coordination whatsoever, so I would have been up of that. But um, yeah, we, we 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 had a good laugh that first series because we were all all in a melting pot together. None of us had any experience of anything like this. That's true. What was it like when um, you you first put your costume on and you went to the pig pen backstage and you actually walked into the arena for the very first time with the cameras rolling and the audience live? I can remember the first time we did the live event. Mm-hmm. I found that much more intimidating than the TV one. Is that the one at Wembley? Yeah. Old Wembley, yeah. I found that harsh. That, that Why? I found much more pressure there. Mm-hmm. I think I detected that Nigel wasn't particularly happy with me because I'd been out well, a couple of times. We'd had some merchandise meetings and stuff and I'd said a few things and... Uh, I didn't make the flavor of the man. I had an inkling something was going to happen at the live event. So. All right. So let's get let's get into this. So what was the beginning of the end for you then, Alex? We were made to do some weird events at that live show. Do you remember the space bikes? Joust. Joust, yeah. And they, they call them space bikes. They were rodeo balls that had been stripped down and they put all this silvery crap on them. We were, rather than holding on, you were expected to hold on with your thighs. So you were just grabbing this thing and you had a pugil stick. They first initially a pugil stick to do this with. So you were holding on with your thighs. For three days after, I could hardly walk. My head and my legs 
killing me, just grabbing onto this bloody thing. I think I had three matches with someone on there. The first one, you you were doing your best. You were trying to hit the person. You could just about hit them because the thing was swinging around. Nigel, Dady Bollockton. So, well, this is crap. And I was getting more and more adrenaline pumped. Then there was another one. And I, I tried really hard. Hit the guy a few times. Didn't get him off. He chastised me again. And I think the third one, I went a bit mental. I really tried really much. And I got off the thing, walked up to him and threw the pugil stick on the floor and said, was that any good? And of course, this was in the arena and he had a microphone uh, on and I can remember <laughs> and good sort of reverberated around this 5,000 seater arena <laughs> and I can remember oh that was a mistake <laughs> yeah we had a little chat afterwards and he wasn't very happy with me so what can I, can I ask a little bit more about that chat and how was it agreed that you would actually exit the arena, the show? As you, you've spoken to Sandy, I think, with regard to that, it was supposed to be to do with a, a poll that was taken, a popularity poll that was done with the public, which no one oh, had the results of, really. Right. But it, it was nothing to do with that. I, I've heard subsequently that I was Andrew Norgate's baby, should we say, that he'd found me and he put me in and most of the other people were were Nigel's discovery or ones that they'd done together but I, I was this person that Andrew Norgate had picked out and mm-hmm. uh, but had, had been my best sponsor he really wanted me to, to succeed in this and he was a great guy but Nigel didn't particularly like that and I think I was doomed from the start to be honest because I, I am very outspoken a bit anti-authoritarian to be honest I can't work for anybody I am unemployable well, um, what's interesting is when we spoke to, to Wolf he remembered this confrontation in the arena that you had and I think he was saying at that point like he knew it was probably going to be the end for you based on the fact that it was done in front of other people yeah. which Nigel would have hated whereas when Wolf had a run in with Nigel he kind of said look can we just go somewhere else and then they had it out and I think Wolf he says it's kind of a sliding doors moment like if he'd had a similar argument with Nigel at that time it, it could have been almost the end for him but because he just thought a bit ahead and thought I'm going to have this chat away if you hadn't have had that you know rant at him if perhaps you'd had the discussion in, in private and it hadn't gone around Wembley Arena do you think he would have lasted that much longer? I don't know I honestly don't know there were aspects of the whole fame thing that I didn't enjoy and that's why I haven't pushed the whole persona since being on the show it's not something that i really enjoyed that being being followed around when you're doing your shopping and crowds of people i mean there was one time when we were in cardiff my my wife uh just had the baby with uh, my baby son tyrus and uh we were pushing the pram around and we were in uh, the main shopping precinct in Cardiff, which is called Queen Street. And we went into a shop that used to be there called Benetton. And somebody recognized me. And then this crowd grew and grew and grew. And there was a huge, I'm talking hundreds of people now, trying to crowd into this shop. And eventually they had to call the police. My wife was really upset. That aspect, I didn't enjoy it at all. I'm not one who, who tries for attention. That's why I felt a bit awkward when we did that Comic Con. You weren't there, I don't think, Di. I think you were supposed to come, but, but didn't attend. Probably the, the, the one that I actually couldn't make yeah. in the year. Yeah, yeah no, it, it, yeah, I actually really agree with you. I think Kenny Warwick was in a lift with me at the very, very beginning. He said, are you prepared for, are you prepared for this? And I thought, what are you on about? 
And he basically was saying between the lines, you, you're going to become really famous. I'm like, it's just another job to me. And unlike you, Alex, it's it, you either can take to that process. I know so many people listening. I'm not assuming, but a lot of people want to be famous. And I think, why? What for? Make sure if you're going to be famous, it's for something good, first and foremost. But yeah, it, it's a shock, isn't it? It's, um, it's I'm not complaining because obviously it's it brought many benefits, like being here with you right now, doing the glad pod. But yeah, very strange. Alex, I wanted to ask you about that newspaper headline because there's that one word in it that, I mean, I, to be honest, I'd forgotten about it until we done the the Phoenix episode and, and Paul had, had sent it to me in advance of that. But it's three gladiator wimps axed. Now, that must have stung because you've been hailed as a superhero one minute and then you've been likened to a wimp the next. That that might have been a tough blow for you. Uh, massive, huge. So, you know, sort of talk about crestfallen. Um, going from being really popular, I was working in Welsh Water at the time. We were told the evening before that this story was going to go out. We weren't told what the headline was going to be. And to walk into work in Welsh Water, where everybody but by the sun, that's the paper of choice that all the guys would be walking with under their arm before they went out digging holes in the road and driving to work in my van and be confronted by that headline and everybody just staring, nobody saying anything. Was I, I took that quite hard at the time. Changed me as a person, I must say. Really, really did. And the hardest thing was for me and Jane that we made a lot of friends who we thought were friends within the Gladiators. People like there was a press woman there, Zoe Warwick at the time, who was at the same stage of pregnancy as my wife and built up a great relationship with her. And they were having the babies at the same time. They bought each other presents and, you know, baby clothes and things like that. And were on the phone to each other all the time because they were pressed over and we'd done. And as soon as we were acting the show, that communication just stopped. And I'd never experienced that before. Like, it just, everything was cut off. I mean, John Anderson had invited them. He'd said, um, why don't you talk to Scotland and say, nothing, everything would just cut off. And stop and to lose contact with all those people and all of us, all the gladiators. It was it was a, a real real culture shock and to, to be left on your own with no nobody to support you or anything. It was hard. Yeah, it was difficult at that time. I know Cobra has spoken before. Like he said that he thought you was one, if not the best male gladiator, but you just hadn't been given that proper chance. I know Paul, when you and I have spoken before as well, you said that you know Hawk, Phoenix, and Flame, they they just didn't get the same exposure, did they, as the other gladiators in series one? This is something even as a fan of the show, you were my favourite male gladiator in series one. It was Hawk and Jet, Hawk and Jet, and I just really felt that you guys didn't really get the exposure into terms of like in the the gladiators magazine like all of the others were having like interviews and yours arrived like quite short and very much at the end you weren't really given the screen time in terms of like doing the interviews after the events not that they did that many in series one but just whenever the gladiators had the opportunity to speak you kind of didn't really have that opportunity which I mean, it obviously didn't affect me picking you as, as my favourite back in the day, but I can see why perhaps other fans didn't get the opportunity to really kind of get to know you because you just weren't given the opportunity from the producers to do so. You were given this position in the gladiators, but I don't to, to coin a phrase. You need me the hook to hang it on. You, I, we weren't given anything, not told to behave in a certain manner or and things to say, even catchphrases or something, anything would have been a help, but there was nothing. And there were times when you finished an event or whatever, and you did your little celebration. If there had been something quirky, something that you did that would grab people's attention, that, I mean, Wolf was always pushing people around or he'd be angry with somebody and all that. I could have done that. I know I could have been a, a villain because I played villains in other stuff before, but I'm not saying I'd be any better than him. Most certainly not. But 
was there any room for somebody to be a negative sort of anti-hero as well? Just to be handed that, uh, a lifeline, really, to expand the character. And I think the, the program would have been better for that. I mean, subsequent series, when uh, I've been told, I never watched it after I was on it, so I can't really comment on that. But I'm told that the characters became, you know, they were really developed became a lot better there was one last thing that i just kind of wanted to mention with regards to obviously like you leaving the show and it was this gladiators comic book short-lived comic book series that it only ever had two issues it just kind of didn't work out but even with hawk phoenix and flame in that series i mean phoenix was not even featured it's like as if she didn't exist flame they killed her off which was quite a shocking thing to do and then apparently alex you were so distraught at the death of flame that you just decided that you couldn't be a gladiator anymore and just walked off into the distance and left the team did you know about this comic book series have you ever seen it and were you close to flame (laughs) i've got copies of it somewhere my wife kept all the memorabilia we've got piles of newspapers each and, and rather than just the clippings, she's kept the whole newspaper. So there are piles of newspapers in there. Don't like, tell Bob that. They'll be around your house tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had meetings. Do you remember the meetings about merchandise in the early days? I do. And we, we talked about cars as well. Do you remember we were all going to get a car? Oh, that's right. It was a, wasn't Derek um, Redmond when he came in going on about yeah. AAs. Did you ever get a car? No. Oh, I don't think you did. <laughs> <laughs> I came to one meeting where I, because we were talking, it was talked about, but it never happened. And I came to a meeting and said, look, I've arranged, I can get three or four cars from a dealership in Cardiff. And Nigel's face was, he was horrified that I'd even been, the, had the audacity to go and try and sort something out myself. But that was me. So that, that was another black mark against my name. You spoke about merchandise earlier on, and there was always talking to me about this. There's a bit of a mystery around the action figure. What do you know about that? Paul has enlightened me to this, that, that there was a Hawk figure made, and then he was turned into a contender, apparently. But there's a really handsome Hawk, uh, contender in the Gladiator game, apparently. It's crazy. There was a, a, an action figure line created by Hornby for the first series, which, like I say, is quite a strange connect- connection between the two because Hornby were always the railway kind of trains and stuff like that and yet they, they managed to win the, the license for the gladiator action figures and pretty much um, all of the male gladiators were kind of produced and you were kind of advertised as as one of the, the figures that were kind of out there and I remember waiting that Christmas in 92 just going like, I want to have the Hawk figure, I want to have the Hawk figure and then when I opened the ball there was no Hawk figure there and I was like, where's he gone? And yeah, I've, I've since found out that the head, your head was then put onto the contender's body but a few hawk figures allegedly have been kind of leaked out there because they were in like the danger zone play set so if there's any fans out there who have got a hawk figure 10 year old paul will be i'm just looking at your face um, yeah i was so distraught at the time and i was like well he's my favorite and my mum was like let's paint one so 10 year old me and my mum sat and painted the contender figure to be hawk so i did technically have one (laughs) i've got an anecdote about a, a um a merchandise meeting. Nigel was always making jokes and stuff. And I can remember he, he said, oh, we, we're going to have blow-up inflatable figures of the gladi. He said, and they're going to make a plain one. And if you put a pin in it, it'll go down on you. And then I can remember Lightning saying, are they really going to make those? No, this is a joke. I can remember him saying that. You, you, you don't remember that, Diane? Oh, dear me. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Gladiators and Sky One, right? You were invited to be part of the first Legends episode. Yes, I was. And I, I still got the contract here somewhere. I think it was about three grand for about five days. I thought, 
I'd already spent the money by the time we got there. Anyway, I sent off some photographs with my reply, my contract, a couple of photographs that I'd recently have taken because I just won the overall Mr. Whale probably about the fifth time then. And I was due to leave on the Sunday for the Monday. And on the Friday, I had a phone call saying, no, we don't require you anymore. And I think my photographs put them off because I was probably about 18 and a half down in really, really good condition. And I think the objective of the Legend series was to make their gladiators look good and the original gladiators to look bad really and i wouldn't have fitted into that at all yeah now that's something we've heard quite a few times with the gladiators returning for the legends the one question that i had in mind before speaking to you today was how do you feel about being hawk 30 years on from leaving the show and i put my name as you can see up there as hawk old boy because being in kathbilly that's Ah, that used to be what I get. I would hear screamed across the road, oh, go boy. And I say, it follows me around like a bad smell because they did 30 years and people are still talking about it. Incredible, really. But I've come to enjoy it. I have. And it was, it was something I never I never pushed. I mean, people said, why didn't you call the gym Hawk Jim? I really don't. I don't want to pursue that. I want to be something else. And I shied away from doing any work like that as I say the, the comic cons and things there were lots and lots of invitations and the one I went to I felt so awkward I didn't feel part of the people who were there because I'd only done that first series and they all had this massive connection where they'd done numerous series together I wasn't part of that I felt alien to it if anything it was, it was yeah. and then I thought, the other thing I didn't like this is something else look at these comic cons there's you sell your photographs and stuff if somebody wanted a selfie taken with you you'd charge him for that as well and I felt really awkward. It's something I've never done. And something I just felt these people, because I, I love the fans. They do people who want to come up to them. I'll talk to them and tell them little anecdotes and bits and pieces. And I know it's a business and I should have treated it like that. And I'm never going to be a millionaire. Listen, I got a little tiny gym with about 40, 50 members. And I don't want to make any more money than that. Every member in here isn't a customer. They're a friend. I've got a relationship with everybody who comes in here. And this is what the ethos of my gym is all about camaraderie and friendship. And I've got a big thing with mental health with men as well. I try and help a lot of the boys. I'm a counsellor, Diane, just like you. And that's just another service I provide. Mm-hmm. And I, I just found it awkward at the, the, the Comic-Con, giving these people this thing and, and, and charging money for it. So I, I, I never did another one. That was that was me then. Well, I was gonna. I often say this question to last, but I just feel it's it's probably the right time to ask you. If, if we gave you the opportunity to press a button and, and go back to 1992, would you have done anything different? And how do you think it might have played out for you if you, if you had? So many things I would have done differently. I would have been more outgoing. I would have treated it as an entertainment, not a sport. As I said, if I'd gone back with the knowledge that I got now, it would be a completely different different thing. I'm not a yes man either. Not that I'm disagreeable, but if I can see something that I don't think is right, I'll stand up and tell somebody. And there were things I didn't feel comfortable with. I still don't think I would have fitted in. That's just me. I mean, this, this, as I say, the gym here, I, I call this the Misfits gym because the, the arranged, the, 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 the array of characters I've got here and people that just don't feel awkward in these normal commercial soulless warehouses, they all come to my place, this tiny little gym with sparse equipment, but all really decent equipment. And I don't 
don't charge for training advice. I mean, I give people PTs, left, right, and center, never charge. And if they come in, I'll take them to a whole workout. That's just the gym I run. And that's how I've always been. But is it true that you got the uh, Lycra costume hanging up in the gym? I've got my brain. Yeah, somebody did that for me as a, as a present. When I got divorced, I was 35. I went through a mad period. I think I went clubbing every weekend for about 10 years. I got into that so, and, and really enjoyed my fault. It really, really, it was the, the youth that I never had. Because when I was growing up, I got into bodybuilding, got into the sport and never went out. I, I lived like a monk for 20 years. I really did. Stripped diets, stripped everything. That was one of the bugbears with Jane. We'd never go out there because I, I would always be training or doing doing something. But now I got divorced, I sort of was free and I had all this time and I, I got a great bunch of friends and I had the best time to my 40s. I really, 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 really did. You mentioned how Tyrus is obviously into um, to bodybuilding. I know your daughter, Callie Jane, who she was at the recording of the very first series. I saw all of the photos and she was always in the audience. I remember that classic shot of it being so loud and she kind of had her yeah. hands on her, on her ears to kind of block the noise. And Hawk has brought his own fan club this evening. There's his daughter, Carly, and there's mum, Jane, pointing out daddy. They've come up today from the valleys to watch him at work. But with the relaunch of Gladiators on the BBC, would either of those two want to be kind of involved with the show? Tyrus, no, not at all. He's not interested in any of that. He's um, he's a very dedicated bodybuilder. Um, he's devoted his, his life to his physique and he looks amazing, I must admit. T- tremendous shape. Carly, I'm not so sure. I think she'd, she's a lot more outgoing than Ty and I think she'd do really well. But then again, I wouldn't advise her to do it. I wouldn't want her to do it. I always remember that there was a, a classic shot of you and Scorpio because you were the, the two gladiators who had children at the time where they had Carly, Jane as Spark and Tyrus as aunt in their little costumes and, and Scorpio was there with her daughter Emily and yeah I just loved that shot and the fact that they followed in your footsteps perhaps not being a gladiator but at least into fitness and bodybuilding must be something that you're really proud of I am I am very proud of we still got those costumes by the way amazing yeah. talking about the BBC version were you surprised when they announced that it was that BBC were going to do their own take on it and what are your hopes and fears about it I was shocked to be honest because we live in a completely different society now I don't know how they're gonna and I think if they're gonna appeal to young people young people are far far more sophisticated than they were then their needs their demands are are, are much greater much more complicated I don't know they're gonna have to change the format massively I mean what kids are exposed to now with games and everything that's on social media all the extreme sports and things like this will gladiators live up to that will it be as exciting will it be as interesting and will it hold their attention I honestly don't know how they're going to make it work. They're going to have to. They're going to have to fill it a lot more. They can't have bases where people get bored. Because when you when you look at the first show, there were bits that were slow, but that suited the time. Things have changed so much. They cannot let happen what happened in the first scenes of our show. They can't because Finland's got a, a dithering character. They're going to have to really develop characters for this. Really are and catch people. You know, emotively. They're going to have to get involved with these characters. But we'll see. I think you're absolutely right, Alex. And that brings us to a week. I could literally, again, talk the haze weeks, months to you and catch up. And I will definitely come come to Cardiff and visit you. What are you doing now? Well, with so much happening at the moment, obviously still running the gym, but Carly's slowly taking that over. And I'm going to hand that over to her in a, in a short period of time. We've got a big clothing line in Nothing, which is very hush-hush at the moment. So I can't say too much about that. But I've got a friend who runs a big company which produces 
promotional material and we're going to do a, a merchandise line which will be bottles, hat towels, t-shirts, hoodies, the whole thing. But we, we're going to try and create a, a brand, an authentic brand. And because of the way that the gym is, it's this sort of OG, it's the original gym, old school, it's authentic. We're going to brand the, the, the clothing along those lines. Then there's a website that's being developed at the moment, which is a property portal, very similar to Rightmove. It'll be a direct competitor of Rightmove. So that's in the offering. That's very, very shortly going to be launched. Other than that, I'm just training and enjoying life. I think I told Paul that I had a couple of years ago I had a prostate cancer diagnosis. I'm sorry. No, don't be because it's the best thing that could have happened to me. It really, really? Yeah, honestly. And I, I don't say that to, to impress anybody, but it really is. It put me, like, it changed my life completely. I am so much more healthy now, so much more positive uh, than I was. As I said earlier, we, I got to my 50s and I think changed. And it was a gradual ground me down it really really did and, and i felt really not not good about myself at all through my career i had a 30 year competitive bodybuilding career i brutalized my body i've got some quite serious you know permanent injuries i've got a torn pec a torn lat ruptured both my biceps i've got a torn car um i'm a walking war zone and all those things were really getting to me but but having that diagnosis put me so straight and i'm so much more positive about my life now and about helping other people as well advising that that yeah no with the prostate cancer it's all about early diagnosis and any blokes who are in their 40s or 50s now are listening go and get checked as a matter of course and do it regularly don't just do it as a one-off do it even if you've got no symptoms i would highly recommend just your age that you do it one of the other things i was going to mention as well if i could briefly is the testosterone therapy that i'm getting I mean, male depression and suicide is, is, is high amongst men. And one of the main reasons for that, or one of the, the prolific reasons is low testosterone. Go and get that checked. If you're, if you're having depressed symptoms, if you're depressed, ang- anxious, weight gain, all these things, go and get your testosterone checked. I, I can't emphasize that enough. It just absolutely changed my life. And the other thing, don't keep people that make you unhappy in your life. <laughs> <laughs> that room will change your life. I always wanted to ask you about your time as a, as a police officer as well. I've worked up in a place called Merthyr, uh, which is a, one of the most deprived areas in, in Britain. And I was plonked in a little place called Treharis, which is a little village up there. It was great. I had the best training as a police officer. If I'd been stuck in a city, I would have been dealing with shoplifting and things like this. But I was, I was stuck in this little village and I... I I encountered all sorts of crimes, burglaries, domestics, you know, everything. It was, it was great. I really enjoyed it. After I'd been in for three years, South Wales Police decided to use my affinity to youth and uh, made me youth liaison officer for A Division. So I was working with schools and young people, uh, disaffected youth and what have you. And that was a massive boom. I, I loved that. I absolutely loved that. If anything, that's what I continued on in the gym. That was the start of it. The fact that I was working with people and helping people there that has given me a great push to help people in, in the gym. There's two other bits I wanted to mention with you. I didn't know if to ask about the Fifth Element movie first. Or the Tango advert. Let's go, let's go with Tango. That was not long after Gladiators. That was probably within a month, maybe even a year of, of coming off that. I just, um, I signed with an agency. Actually, Cobra went to the audition as well. When you go for auditions for adverts, they ask you to do the most mental things. It's, you just don't know what you're going to encounter. So obviously it was a Tango ad. I went in there and they, they asked me to pretend to be a monster and drag yourself along the floor. I was lucky because I had, Carly was really young at the time. And I would always chase around the house 
playing as a monster. So I had all these faces and snarls and noises. And I just enacted that and they loved it straight away. I knew I got the part. There must have been about 40 people in this audition, all crowded out in this room. I, I just knew. I don't even remember if you remember Diane, because it must have been close to the live event. At the live event, I had some contacts made. Do you ever remember? Ooh. Oh, yes, I do. Now, yes, I do. Describe again for everyone. Bright red with a yellow ring around the edge and a uh-huh. ton of people wore. And they looked really, because of this whole character, I wanted these. And I wore them at the, the live event. Nigel wasn't happy about that again. There you go, taking things into your own hands, making decisions. I wore those to that audition and that was it. They were sold they just as soon as I, I walked in with those in. <laughs> It was a done deal, but what a great experience. One of the best experiences. It, it took five days to film. They shut down Spitalfields Market because it was filmed on just on the outside of that. So they closed the whole market for five days. I don't know if you've seen any of the photographs. I got photographs. I'll try and get some of those. There was a huge crane that they got there to hoist me up to do some of the scenes. The makeup, I had to go to Pinewood Studios to have all the prosthetics made. They cast my chest. I can't describe this now. I was on a trolley kneeling, and then they, the cast of my chest was attached to me. Obviously, with all this, the other prosthetics, the massive chin, the big blue hair, and painted orange. And I would run along the floor, being hoisted by this this crane. And those, the first day we put the makeup on, it took nine hours to put the, the prosthetics on. So I was there at three o'clock in the morning, took to, to 10 o'clock before we could start filming. I think they got it down to four or five hours in the end for the other days. But yeah, that was a great experience. No, oh, I've picked something up, John. Let's look at it, Ralph. Hey, that's the catatonic kick of real oranges accosting the back of his throat. Oh, Tony! What is that? No idea, Ralph. But it's definitely not Wee Willy Winky. Morning. Blast my tango taste box, Tony! Spanking. You know when you've been tangoed. It was all looking good until he got banned for being too violent. No. And I was making some money as well. Because it was all done on repeat things. And then they took it off. Like, and then about the fifth element, I mean, what was that like to be involved in? That was great, yeah. Big bunch of bodybuilders there. All the, the names again. Sean Davis, J.D. Duardo. There's another guy there called Scott Chisholm, who was the bodyguard to Charlie Sheen. He had some stories as well. And I got to tell you those. Yeah, great experience. Uh, I got to speak to Gary Oldman as well for about half an hour, which was a, an amazing experience. What a guy. I mean, much one of my favorite actors. I have got the cap. Yeah, it's called the blue cap. I was offered the, the shorts as well because the, the clothing was designed by Jean-Paul Gaultier and they offered me these rubber shorts and I didn't take them. I don't know why I never brought them home. I should have should have had those as well. Now, one thing that we'll definitely have to share on the GladPod social media, and I know that you showed us this before we came on the podcast, but I want to mention it now, that you own one of the very first Gladiators teaser posters when the show was billed as Survival of the Fittest, the wild game show. Producer Paul, you are you jealous much? Something I'm very jealous of because I didn't know that it existed. I never saw any of these posters before. So when Alex pulled it out of his collection, I was just like... What? Where is this from? I've never seen it before. So yeah, it's something that I don't have and I've never seen before. And I don't know any of the other gladiators that have even mentioned it as well. So yeah, it's, a, it's an exclusive for me. Uh, this is a copy of the poster that was up. When you drive into London on the M4 and <laughs> Hammersmith, yeah. on a poster, a huge poster next to the motorway. So everybody coming into London was greeted by this huge, huge poster. Massive long thing. Um, <laughs> I first saw it, and Jane, my wife, 
asked, are there any copies of this? You know, and they, they gave the one copy, so still got it. One final question from me, and that is, why did you feel that now was a good time to come and share your story on the Glad Pod, or was it just producer Paul's persistence? I just feel like I'm in a much, much a better place in my life than I've been in a long, long time. I really am, and I feel I feel really good about it. And not I was never really bitter and twisted. Um, it was disappointing, but uh, no, I I just. It just feels right. Then with the new series coming out, I suppose it all ties in with that. It, it just seemed the right time. It did. I can't explain it. I'm feeling fit, healthy, happy. So now's the right time. Well, there we have it. Hulk on Gladpod. Kudos, producer Paul, for getting him to the stage where he felt like he could come on to the Gladpod and and share his story and give his view on everything that's happened because we have heard so much about him from the other gladiators. It was great just to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, and personally, he was my favourite gladiator back in Series 1 as well. So I've tried and tried and tried for many years to, to kind of get him on the Glad pod. And wherever there's been an opportunity really for the gladiators like with the legend show i was the one who kind of put his name in front of the producer i was like please get hawk please get hawk so the fact that he feels like as if now is the right time to revisit his kind of time on gladiators um and feels positive and comfortable enough to kind of talk about it was yeah the fanboy in me was very happy yeah and die i mean we always we often mention it quite a lot of times it just being 30 years and you know with all your memories but actually he navigated that very well given as well that it was quite a probably traumatic time for him in his mm-hmm. life and he probably didn't want to overly uh, go back down that path no you're right and it's obviously a journey well travelled 30 years on and the fact that he disclosed to all of us he's now a trained psychotherapist counsellor uh, working in a similar field to me, I just remember the most incredible male gladiator of the original series, the OG, as we're now calling it, and a, and a wonderful soul. And he still is to this day and always will be. Yeah, and Paul, I, I really felt like he was an open book with that. I feel like sometimes you say what you think either the public wants to hear or you only give as much as you think, you know, you don't want to cause any more ruckuses or anything. But he was very open with everything you just said. And that's the thing that I think came across for me and. Like you say, he just seems so genuine and just a really nice guy. I love that he is obviously so passionate about helping people as well. And like how he said, he kind of like talks to the guys in his gym and he does really seem at a good place in his life and just very positive, which I think came across from from chatting to him. And also just as a side note, like with that, I love how he almost manifested Gladiators coming over to the UK. So his appearance on the You Bet show and kind of talking to the TV people there saying, this show will be coming over here is just something that is fantastic as well so I'm glad that he actually managed to make that happen and the one common theme that we have heard previously was just perhaps how outspoken he was and perhaps how he wouldn't necessarily tow the party line or not think about towing the party line and just leap over it as well Di for your memories of him then and now can you still see the hawk that was there all those years ago absolutely (laughs) absolutely a strong mind a strong heart and one that springs to mind about Alex's and Hook is authentic 
authentic people don't vie a way to fit into anybody else's plot and they just remain themselves and that's why he'll be an amazing therapist and do all the good support that he's doing with younger people and men in particular in today's world I am oh, I feel utterly proud that I was a gladiator at the same time as him for you guys listening you can stop asking me now when are we going to get Hawk on the Glad Pod because we got Hawk on the Glad Pod <laughs> <laughs> it's the first name that always seems to come up and Paul why do you think it is that, that Hawk was so popular given that he was only in that first series and as you know you pointed out didn't get as much press time as as others did or, or time in front of the camera for me he really just kind of was the epitome of what a male gladiator should be like he had the look the chiseled kind of like cheekbones he kind of looked and this sounds weird he did represent his name as a hawk like he did look hawk like um, and especially with his paws and his arms were massive and his pecs and he just kind of yeah he's just the epitome of a, of a male gladiator for me and I think even though he didn't have as much screen time in terms of talking to the camera and really being able to show his personality like we found out he was the one who was on air the most like 20 appearances over nine shows is, is nothing to be shied away from so I think yeah he just came across somebody who was kind of like the silent assassin of the team he would just get on with it and and just kind of I just thought he looked like a great gladiator as well. Di, one thing I wanted to mention to you is he said quite a few times on that podcast that he really wishes that he'd got more advice or more of a steer or more coaching in terms of his mm. character. And the one thing that we've said with a lot of the other um, original gladiators and, and the gladiators came in subsequent series was that they were allowed to develop their own characters. And perhaps that's what <laughs> was wrong with the Sky version, that they were told what they needed to be and where. So it was yeah. interesting to hear his take on it, wasn't it? I call it micromanaging. I couldn't bear it and I still can't bear it to this day <laughs> whatever work I do but you know Alex was saying actually I could have done with some guidance and support there were many of us on the team who were like oh no no let me do my own thing that's fine it's such a shame really that he didn't get that kind of blend of care so he wanted more but was it present was it available I don't know I can't remember that far back I other than only from my own journey. So yeah, I really hear that. And for the new gladiators coming through, <laughs> my thing would be, again, if somebody needs that support for their image and generating their character, give them it. Otherwise, let the ones that can do it on their own, let them go. Do not micromanage. Although it did sound like as if he was going to get there again, like where he was mentioning mm. about bringing the contact lenses in to really like yeah. hype up the whole kind of hawk. His journey was there. He just got stopped short, I think, personally. Me too. Me too. And what a genuine, <laughs> lovely guy. So I've come off this episode feeling very happy that we finally got Hawk and hopefully we can have him on again in the future because he had a lot of really, really good advice. Yeah, and absolutely. Paul, thank you. Dyke, thank you very much. You can get in touch with the Pod by emailing gladpod at gladiatorstv.com or sliding into our DMs on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode and see you again next week. Good competition, good spirit, great sportsmanship as both contenders show mutual respect. Join us again next week for the ultimate challenge, the might of 